And Lord, speak to us from your word that God, you, Lord, would bring us before you for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church family, would you take God's word and join me in Matthew chapter 5 again this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. That's where we are this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. The Sermon on the Mount has a way, as, as does all of God's Word, it just has a way of getting into your business uh, a little bit. Uh, it, it has the unique ability coming from the One who is the Word of God uh, just to dive into the depths of our heart, uh, to show us who we truly are, uh, what is true about ourselves, what is true certainly about the Lord, all in an effort to help make us more like Jesus. So once again, we come to another portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Deeply practical, uh, kind of hitting us right where we live in the issue of our tongue, in the issue of our speech. You might recall that in that James 3 passage of Scripture dealing with the sins of our tongue, that in verses 6 and 8 of that chapter, James writes this about the tongue. The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, the sins of our tongue and the heart from which those words proceed, Scripture is repeatedly addressing those issues. God's Word calls us to do away with, we were just thinking about from Colossians 3, and later in that chapter, as Matthew referenced, there is just this list, not meant to be exhaustive, but it is this list of things that we are to put off, to put away from us. And in that list, you'll find things like putting away lying and boasting and gossip and slander from our mouths. Other places in Scripture, God's Word calls us to put, to put abusive speech away from us and to let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouths. But beyond these things, and specifically to our text in Matthew 5 today, God's Word calls us to not make promises, to not make vows to not swear oaths with our tongues from our hearts which we do not intend to keep. Uh, God's Word calls us here in this text this morning to take stock of, to take an inventory of our heart and then the tongue that is always directly connected to our heart and to ensure that our speech is entirely trustworthy and true 
in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does a deep dive, if you will, into God's teaching, God's instruction in the law, and in particular, what the law has to say about what we say. And in doing this deep dive into the law, the aim of this portion of Scripture is to help us see that what God desires from us today, saints, what God desires as the flavor, the ongoing reality of our lives is a heart so full of integrity and honesty that a simple yes or no will suffice in every circumstance. The big question really, I think, before us this morning is, is our speech trustworthy and true? In the things that we say to God? In the things that we say to one another? In the promises that we make? Is our speech trustworthy and true? Matthew 5, look down to verse 33 through 37 with me. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem. For it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Three things. Three calls, if you will, for us to consider from this text this morning. Three calls as we're being called to see these things, to walk in holiness and obedience in these things. Three calls for us to consider. Number one, we see in verse 33 the call to God's people to do what we say we will do. The call to do what we say that we will do. Verse 33, here's that formula again, right? You have heard that the ancients were told. Uh, The ancients referring back to those uh, original recipients of the law of God. Uh, More specifically, as the ages went by, there became a form of teaching centered on, or maybe loosely based on the Word of God, but missing the very heart of the law. These ancient teachers and rabbis had, out of the depravity of their hearts, the twisted and perverted nature of their minds, they had begun to soften or to change or to pervert the actual teaching of the law of God. So again, the formula. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Again, Jesus not instituting something new, but explaining the heart of something very, very old. 
And in verse 33, here's what Jesus is doing. As He references the law, He is actually combining three different verses, three different places in the law of God from Numbers and Deuteronomy. He's taking these three verses and combining them to give us a right summarization of the law's instruction on doing what we say we will do, especially when it comes to vows that we make to God. And so he references Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord, or takes an oath to bind himself with binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Thirdly, Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 23. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips. Just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. So what are we seeing in those texts that Jesus now kind of all brings them all together in verse 33, summarizes the lost teaching for us? What is at the heart of these instructions to us? I think very simply that if a man, if a woman, if a person makes a vow, if they swear an oath to another person, certainly before God or to God, he or she must do what they say they will do. I don't think it's any accident, by the way, if you just kind of keep verse 33 in its greater context. You've just come out of a section dealing with the sin of adultery, divorce. At the heart of these things is not keeping the vows that you have made. And so then Jesus comes right into this next section of the sermon and summarizes the law of God for us that essentially says when you say you're going to do something, be a person of your Word and do it. To not fulfill a vow is sin. To not do what you say you're going to do is a lie, and it carries the promise that God will what? He will surely require it of you. And so then, it leads the author of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 6, verses 4 through 6, to say this when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Serious warning, instruction from the author of Ecclesiastes there. If you make a vow, don't be late. 
And when someone comes to you and says, hey, you haven't fulfilled what you said you were going to do, you can't look at them and say, oh no, I was just kidding about that. I didn't really mean that. Now do what you say you're going to do. Because anything less than that is untruthfulness. Vows to the Lord in the Old Testament were often varied. and The people knew that the great seriousness of keeping those vows, of the discipline or judgment that would come from the Lord if they did not fulfill those vows. The people understood that God is a holy God. He's a consuming fire. He is a God of truth who requires His people to be holy people of truth. And so then, whether it was the promise of a gift, an offering, a sacrifice unto the Lord, or maybe it was a promise like Hannah in 1 Samuel to give her son unto the Lord. Maybe it was something more lifelong and binding like the Nazarite vow of Numbers chapter 6. Whatever the vow was unto the Lord, what did the God of truth intend? Pay what you owe. Do what you say you're going to do. So then the call in verse 33 is we're thinking about, is my speech trustworthy and true? The, the first call for us to consider in verse 33, as this really does serve as the backbone of this text, the call is to do what we say we will do. And so then, when we tell people, yeah, I'll pay you for that. Do we actually pay? When we say we will be there, are we there? And obviously, situations come along that might delay things. We certainly might forget. But the overall call upon our lives is to do what we say we're going to do. Here's, here's another one. Listen, when we tell people we're going to pray for them, do we pray for them? God intends that our speech be trustworthy and true and that we do what we say we will do. However, as is so often the case, the depravity of the hearts of mankind that it begins to erode away the call of God's law. And so often is the case is that we begin to find ways to kind of get around what God has so clearly and plainly told us in His Word. This is what the teachers of Israel have been doing. When Jesus again comes onto the scene and begins to preach this sermon, He is interacting with religious leaders who are masters at finding ways to get around not doing what they say they're going to do. And so then, the very pointed instruction that comes. This is our second call here that we see. So, first one in verse 33, now verses 34 to 36. Here's the second call of this portion of Scripture. The call to not bolster lies with outrageous vows. We'll explain that as we go, but there's a call here to not bolster, to support 
our lies with outrageous vows. You've heard it said, verse 33, but now verse 34. But I say to you, make no oath at all. Because it is sin to make a false vow. Because it is sin to not fulfill a vow. Jesus says in verse 34, like the author of Ecclesiastes in chapter 5, it's just better to not make an oath at all. It's just better to not even swear an oath at all. Now, Jesus does not mean that all vows, that all oaths and promises are entirely off limits. As we will reference toward the end of the sermon, God Himself has made vows toward us. What Jesus is forbidding in verse 34 is the making of outlandish, aggrandized vows without a heart that actually intends to do what one says they will do. So here's what's been happening with the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew of the seriousness of not fulfilling their vows to the Lord. So generally speaking, whenever they made a vow to the Lord, these religious leaders were pretty good about fulfilling those vows. They made a promise, an oath. They said they were going to give something unto the Lord, do something for the Lord. Generally, when they made that vow to the Lord, they were pretty good about obeying that. However, there were other promises made that in their hearts, they really had no intention of keeping. Promises generally made to other people that they probably knew when the words came out of their mouth, I don't really have any intention of being there at that time or of doing what I say I'm going to do. And so then, in an effort to cover up their lies coming out of their mouth, in an effort to cover up their untrustworthy hearts, they would make vows to anything and everything except for the name of God. If I swear an oath to God upon His name, I'm bound to do it. But here's a little end around. I don't really want to be there at 5 o'clock to help you with that. So I'm going to make a promise to you based on anything and everything except the name of God. They would vow on heaven, on earth, Jerusalem. They would vow on their own heads. But just so long as they didn't vow on the name of God, they began, they began to believe that it was okay to break that vow or promise. John MacArthur says about it, that kind of routine oath-making was usually lie-making. And it was considered by those who practiced it to be perfectly acceptable as long as it was not in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus is going to give some examples of what He means. Look in verse 34. Do not swear either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. So, in an effort to cover up their untrustworthy hearts and the vow coming out of their mouths that they didn't really intend to keep, they wouldn't swear on the name of God, but they would swear on heaven. 
Maybe something along the lines of this, I swear to you on heaven, I promise to you as heaven as my witness, as surely as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, I will do what I'm telling you I'm going to do. However, Jesus says you can't do that in verse 34. Why? Because heaven is the throne of God. Heaven is the place from which God rules and reigns. Psalm 11 and verse 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Isaiah 66 and verse 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Because heaven is God's throne, to swear by heaven is to swear upon God's name. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 22. Listen to this. He who swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by Him who sits on it. Jesus says there's no distinction here. God rules in the heavens. And if you swear upon heaven, you're swearing by the name of God. So then verse 35. Do not swear by the earth either. Why? For it is the footstool of His feet. I promise you, swear on the earth. And that may sound a little crazy to us. But this is the links to which we'll go, right? The links to which they would go to cover up their untruthful hearts. I, I swear to you by the earth. I'll do this thing. I'll pay this debt. I'll be at that place. Jesus says in verse 35, you can't do that either. Why? Because as Isaiah 66 once said, the earth is His footstool. God is sovereign Creator. God is sovereign Sustainer of all the earth. Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So swearing by the earth is off limits. Because to swear by the earth is to swear by the name of God who created and sustains. Look in verse 35 again. Or, don't swear by the city of Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. This is one of their favorites, by the way. To swear by Jerusalem. Maybe there on the streets or at someone's house or in the marketplace, a vow would be made. And they would, they would turn and point up to the temple mount where this beautiful temple complex sad and, and they would make a promise I, I swear to you on the temple of God that I will do this thing Jesus says you can't do that either because Jerusalem it's not just the city of any king it's not just the place where David ruled from it, it, it's not just the place from which Solomon reigned it's the city of the great King. Jesus is quoting there from Psalm 48 
in verse 2, a psalm that extols the glory of Mount Zion and Jerusalem. And it says in verse 2 that it is the city of the great King. The great King. The King of kings dwells there. In that holy of holies, in the very most inner part of the temple dwells the very presence of God. You can't swear by Jerusalem or the temple for the great King is there. And so then you're swearing by His name. And then verse 36, Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus is not condemning dyeing your hair, by the way, but calling to the reality that you are not in sovereign control of your life. You can't say, I swear to you on my own life that I will do this thing. For you are not your own. You didn't create you. You don't sustain you. You don't hold yourself in the palm of your hand. It is God who is in sovereign control over your life. And so to swear even by your own head is to swear by God's name. Since it is God who is in sovereign control over our lives. John Stott said this, however hard you try, Jesus said, you cannot avoid some reference to God. For the whole world is God's world. And you cannot eliminate Him from any of it. And so the call in verses 34-36 to 36 is to not bolster the lies that come out of our mouth, the vows that we don't intend to keep. You can't bolster that with outrageous, even religious, biblical-sounding promises or oaths. You can't say any of those things because it is essentially to say what? I swear to God. And that would then be taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, violating, breaking the third those Ten Commandments. So then, what do we do? If we have trouble doing what we say we're going to do in verse 33 sometimes, if we can't swear by these outrageous vows, then what do we do? Verse 37. So here's the third call for us to consider this morning. The call a truthful speech from a trustworthy heart. We're called as God's people, as the disciples of Christ's kingdom, to be those with trustworthy speech that proceeds, or truthful speech which proceeds from a trustworthy heart. Verse 37, but let your statement be, yes. Yes. Or, no. No. Anything beyond these is of evil. 
James in James chapter 5 and verse 12. He will essentially take, it will just take this verse and almost restate it verbatim. James 5 verse 12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. We should speak without the need for outrageous oaths. We should be people of honesty and integrity in what we say. We should simply say what we mean and mean what we say. Our word should be our bond. We should do what we say we will do. Our yes should be yes. And our no should be no. In our hearts, we should trust in, rely upon the absolute truth of God and His Word. And even when we're put in difficult circumstances, We should just simply say yes or no and let that be it. We should never have to add an outrageous oath to make ourselves believable to people. As the people of God who have been changed and are being changed by the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, our speech proceeding from our hearts It ought to be simple, clear, and truthful. We should never have to say or add, I I, I swear to God. We should never have to say something like, I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on my own life. If, If you have to say those kinds of things, If you don't really intend to be truthful or to do what you say you're going to do, just don't say it at all, right? Just don't even make the promise. Look at somebody and say, hey, I'm just not sure I can commit to that. Careful, truthful with our words. When we say yes, other people should just be able to believe us. Because they know that our speech is truthful from a trustworthy heart. When we say no, others should know that we're not going to be wishy-washy on that. The yes is yes, and the no is no. Again, John Stott, swearing, I mean swearing of an oath, is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. That when we have to add all the extra words We're really just saying, in my heart, I'm just dishonest and not trustworthy. Jesus says as a warning at the end of verse 37 that anything beyond these is of evil. Adding to the big oaths, promises on heaven and Jerusalem and on a stack of Bibles, it's it's evil. Why is it evil? It's evil because of John chapter 8 and verse 44. 
And then John 8.44, Jesus speaking of Satan, says this, Satan does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Earlier, Jesus had condemned the Pharisees told them that they were like their father, the devil. Lies, promises, even if they come with, or especially when they come, with outrageous oaths, it's evil because that's the way Satan operates. He's a liar. Certainly not trustworthy. In fact, the very father of lies. And if you are in Christ, that means God is your Father. And if God, the God of truth, is our Father, then what does that mean for what we say? It'll be trustworthy and true. We want to root our hearts and the things that we say, the promises that we make, we want to root them in the character of God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We want Hebrews 6 to be our motivation for being people of truthful speech from trustworthy hearts. Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. God's the only one, by the way, that can swear by his name. All right? So, because there's nothing or no one greater, God swears an oath, a promise, a covenant to Abraham. Verse 14, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves. And with them an oath, given as confirmation, is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose, interposed with an oath. So that, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. When God swears an oath, makes a vow, initiates a covenant, He does so according to His own perfect holy name. And God is faithful to every single promise. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Why? Because God is trustworthy. Because God is true. And if we are His people, then what that practically means for our lives is that we will be people of truth. 
We will believe the truth and we will speak the truth. We'll be careful with our speech. So church family, let me ask you to remember just a handful of things here. Remember that God is truth. That He only says and does what is true. And so the, the, the same should be then true for His people. Do what you say you will do without outrageous oaths. And listen, if you're asked to do something and you're not sure that you can do it, you're not maybe even sure that you want to do it, don't just quickly say, yeah, I'll be there. I, I, I promise you I'll do it. Don't be gripped by fear of man in that moment. And just say, hey, I, I don't know if I can make that promise to you right now. And I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to lead you astray. I don't want to be duplicitous. I don't want to break my word. Listen, if, if somebody says to you, hey, will, will you pray for me? And and and. You, you obviously, I think, Christian, right? You, you want to pray for them. Um, I might would encourage this. Don't just tell them you'll pray for them. Because look, if you're like me, you're going to forget. Not because you don't like them. Not because you don't want to pray for them. But because you have 10 billion other things flying around your brain. And you might just forget. If you tell them you're going to pray for them, here's a great practice. Just do it right there. Just do it right there. Say, yes, I'll pray for you. In fact, let me do that right now. And if you need to add, before I forget. I think, I think they will understand. Just be a person of your word in that. Remember this. Remember Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. We will give an account for every careless word that we speak. For every flippant, trite, dishonest word, we'll give an account. So be careful. Be careful with your words. Here's the last thing we'll say by way of application. It's a great rule of thumb. Just talk less. Like seriously, just don't talk so much. Talk less. Proverbs chapter 10 in verse 19, when there are many words. And y'all, I, I, I know this by experience to be so true. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But, he who restrains his lips is wise. Listen, I like to talk. Like, I... I get paid to talk for a living, okay? I like to communicate and talk. Here's the problem. Because I talk a lot, I think I'm good at it. And because I think I'm good at it, uh, I think what I have to say is the absolute most important thing that you could ever possibly hear. I've got an opinion on everything, by the way. Just come up to me, ask me my opinion on anything. I've probably got an opinion on that. 
when we just talk all the time, we're going to be flippant with our words. We're going to make promises we can't keep. We're going to say things we don't mean. Just talk less. James chapter 1, verse 19 tells us to be slow to speak. If you're asked a question, if you're asked to do something, it's okay just to kind of pump the brakes and say, I, I don't know if I can commit. Let me get back to you. And then get back to them. Just be careful. We want to be people of truth because God, our Father, is a God of truth. We want to put to death the, the, the sin of our hearts that compels us to say untrue, sinful things. So, in a second we're going to pray. We're just going to ask God's Spirit to help us. To help illuminate the areas of our hearts. Maybe where we're not truthful. We're not trustworthy. And ask God's Spirit to refine that in us so that we, God's people, among one another, the watching world, and before God, that we would just be people of truthful speech from trustworthy hearts. Let's pray together. God, we thank You that You are a God of truth. The God of truth. There is no lie in You. It is impossible for You to lie. Father, You've called us, Your people, to be holy. You've called us to put sin to death in us. And God, that means promises that we make that we don't really intend to keep. God, that means putting to death the fear of man that leads us to say or promise things and then not fulfill what we say. God, You call us to trust, God, that the truth is always better than a lie. God, You call us to trust that our lives are in Your hands. And even if the truth is hard and on some level cost us, God, we're still safe, and that's still better than telling the lie. So, Father, by Your Spirit, O oh God, help us to see where we ought to be more like Jesus in this area of our lives. God, You have only told us what is true. And we thank You, God, that we can trust You. So God, in light of that deep and abiding trust that we have, help it to overflow in this particular area of our lives. God, help us in this moment as we continue to meditate, God, on this Scripture. Help us to, in an ongoing manner, respond obediently, Father, to Your Word. Help us to honor you in this way. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Church family.